You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am Dave Griffiths. Joining me virtually from around the Circle City is Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins. And uh, guys, big show planned for today. We'll really start our positional breakdowns leading up to training camp, or at least the scheduled start of training camp. Uh, Mike has some great stuff planned for our online digital content over the next couple of weeks. Um, you can go log online to fox59.com or cbs4indy.com, head over to the sports pages and, and find this. But we're doing a positional breakdown of the Colts, three position groups every week from now until the end of July. And uh, hopefully by then we'll have some Colts on the field in training camp and we'll be able to uh, get a little bit more in depth on uh, what to expect from some of these guys. But right now, kind of a, um, a, uh, a preview of sorts without seeing you on the field so far. So uh, that's what we'll dive into in depth today. But first, we start with the news around the league. It really was quite the, uh, the busy week since we uh, taped our last podcast last Thursday. Um, uh, one of the more uh, significant uh, happenings over the week was the NFLPA is really pushing for zero preseason games instead of uh, the plan right now, which is two preseason games. And uh, the NFL and the NFL Players Association are discussing some kind of plan for potential player opt-outs as well in 2020, as we've seen in, in different sports like Major League Baseball and some players have decided, hey, I'm not going to play this season and all that. But um Mike, is there really any shot that the NFLPA is able to push, like, without, eh, like, I think there is a shot that you see no preseason games just strictly because of uh, if concerns on the virus continue to increase. But if, if they decrease at all, or if there's, like, if it even remains the same, I, I don't know if the, the NFL certainly does not want to get rid of the two preseason games because they're revenue generating, I, I would say. It, it's going to be a hard sell for the NFLPA uh, to get the NFL to get rid of these two games, I would think. Yeah, I think if there's no preseason games, it'll be virus related. Uh, totally. the, sur- the surge was so enormous or whatever or, or extreme that, that, they, that they can't have games. I, I, I kind of see some sticking points. Negotiations is all about who's got leverage and what are your bargaining chips. I think the league is going to stand really firm on two preseason games, revenue, and at the same time they want to they want to sort of test out the logistics of a road game and a home game. How does it work? What are the what are the concerns you're not aware of or you didn't foresee? And then maybe what where the NFL gives is where they're wanting 35% of a player's salary in escrow. I'm not sure a player's going to, you know, you're already asking them to play in, a, in a, a a dangerous sport in a more dangerous environment. So maybe that's the trade-off. Two preseason games and you keep your salary. Opt-outs. What I want to see about an opt-out, maybe I'm missing something. If you opt-out, you don't get paid. Uh, but then do you st- does your contract hold? Do you if it does if Marlon Mack opts out, does he owe the Colts a year next year, or is he a free agent? So I think that's got to be worked out. Uh, so the, the, again, what we're seeing with this news coming out now is is the NFL is on the clock, as we've talked about. All of a sudden, in the next three weeks, they've got to make some hard decisions. Some of them, I think, are just kind of. There was one, and you tweeted it, and I retweeted about. 
you can't exchange jerseys after a game. After a game that you've just slobbered all over guys and sweated on guys and coughed on guys, you know, now stay away from each other. That's optics. That, that's an optics thing the NFL wants to avoid. I've said this from the start that they're having locker rooms, players separated six feet in locker rooms after practicing for two hours on the field or after playing in a game. I, I think they're, they're I don't want to say going overboard. I'm not sure you can go overboard on, on protocol. But some of this, I, I, I just wonder the, the, the rationale behind it when you're, when you're playing a sport that, that involves and requires close contact. It just seemed ridiculous to me. And the tweet you're referring to is like, I was really making fun of the NFL for this policy. I said, right. it's, like feel, it's like feeling good about yourself for ordering a Diet Coke with your triple cheeseburger meal. Correct. Like, oh, don't worry, I got the Diet Coke over here right. yeah, along with my triple cheeseburger. Hey, don't, it, it's okay. I can uh, I can avoid the workout this afternoon because hey I got my diet coke instead of my full coke and saving some calories with my triple cheeseburger meal so it it just, it just seemed silly um, the the rule and there are several players who were kind of tweeting out uh, th- their thoughts on it which was which was the same I think Richard Sherman was one of them uh, never shy to share his opinion Richard Sherman you can go on Twitter and find that I'm sure but. Um, uh, it might, might, more to your point about the uh, the player opt-outs, I think that's a little bit of a mixed bag for the league because in a guy like Marlon Mack's case, like you get another year of him as he's young, and that's great. Like I don't think the Colts would object to having another year of Marlon Mack even a year from now on the current salary that he has. But if you have a guy like a Justin Houston, for example, who's getting up there in age, you have him signed for one year at his age, you know, not one year in the future where right. the uh, – you, you anticipate the, the level of play will go down as you get further into your 30s. So it, it really is a, a unique situation that it would be good for some players or good for the league or fine for the league to accept some players, but not okay in other areas to, to push that one year of your contract back if you want to, if you want to opt out of the deal. Or, or maybe the, the union, I've not seen it really addressed much yet, maybe the union says, no, the penalty will be that you don't get paid. You know, right. you're under contract. You don't get paid. So, so what? If your contract's up, it's up. And as we, you know, we we can discuss it in a couple of weeks. The list of Colts to be free agents next year is staggering. It's a lot of major players. So, and can you opt out just because? Do, do you need Do you need to be? You know, if you're a coach, can you opt out because you're 60 some? Can a player, if you got a pre preconditioning exition, does it? Uh, you know, problem if you've got family at home, or what are, or, or can you just say I'm not comfortable playing in this situation? So I want to see how it goes. And again, we're going to find out very quickly the next week or two. And then past this, they've got to address very quickly fans in the stands. I, I saw somebody I can't, and I can't think of the team. I think it was where, the Ravens. Is it 20 percent? Is it 14,000 people in the stands? I think it is. Yeah, I got the Ravens there. They're they're uh, the season tickets. They're um, deferring the season tickets to 2021, right. and they're saying there'll be no more than 14,000 seats per game. So you'll I sell assume the, they would try and spread everybody out. And you'll sell games, uh, game by game basis. So so that's probably where we're headed. But like we may have talked last week. So so maybe Baltimore is in an area where it, it's not too bad. What about the teams in Florida? What about the teams in Texas? What about the teams in California where things are really 
you know, the brush fire is really in full bloom. So uh, I, I want to see that. That's to me that will be the last thing they deal with. Well, it, sh- it shouldn't be the last thing because these teams got to know how they're dealing with, with tickets. So, like I said, the next two weeks we're going to have a ton of news, hard news, on how the league is, is going to go forward with with they want to be a, a normal season in a very abnormal off season. And that more goes to your point again, Mike. That like there's going to be a lot of a lot of logistics to figure out how things run exactly well with all these new rules that are going to be in place. So in that sense, a preseason will be valuable in order to figure out these things, in order to learn what works and what doesn't, or saying, hey, we need to add a little bit more here to make sure that this problem and that problem are solved. Like There are lots of things like both teams are supposed to travel to the stadium by bus. They're banning the media from, from locker rooms. We're going to stay out and do all virtual interviews. Those are things we obviously don't have to discuss at length on the podcast here. They're not exactly of interest to you folks out there in terms of uh, what happens on game day. But uh, th- there are a lot of different logistical things that are going into the NFL, at least trying to get to the season right now. And um, and Joe, if, if there is no preseason, then obviously you, you try right away in the regular seasons, kind of getting thrown into the fire with all these things. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked about how with the restrictions to even practices, how those first few weeks of the season, there's a lot more missed tackles. Players are still kind of trying to get into that full season swing. Well, if there's no preseason, that'll have a greater impact, and then it'll have a huge impact on the players at the end of the roster trying to catch the coach's eye and make the team. Well, and, and then there's talk that the end of the roster is going to be different because there's talk of, of, of before you go to camp, cutting your 90-player roster to maybe 75. So all of a sudden, you know, again, we, we've talked about how the, the Colts have got that longest streak of an undrafted rookie making the roster. It's 21 straight seasons. All of a sudden, the guys that you really think have got a chance and they need it off season and, and they really need a training camp, there could be 15 guys gone before you ever go to camp. And again, I've argued, I don't understand that. There's the only expense is, is feeding these guys because they're going to be staying at home. Now, some of these guys will need a hotel room like they normally do with rookies. Uh, but you don't get start, you don't start getting paid your salary until the regular season. So other than having fewer people in your building, so that means less of an issue, I guess we're talking marginally, less of an issue with, with infection possibilities. But I tell you, if I'm one of those guys that with, with the chip on my shoulder, not Robert Mathis, he was drafted, but the guys who, who you know, the Gary Brackett, I can go down the list, Gary Brackett, Melvin Bullitt, Dominic Rhodes, on George Odom more recently, who, who needed Brad Pye, they just keep popping in my head, who, who, who made an impression and then made and then made a difference. And this year, again, when you go to camp, that's another reason we talk logistics on two preseason games. You talk to these coaches, they want two preseason games to, to, to see what they've got and how this quarterback hasn't thrown much to these new players. So, and you've got, you know, new quarterback, new receiver, new running back, new three technique tackle, new uh, starting corner. You, you need to see these guys at some point in a ga- in game situations. And I've seen things with one of the things the NFLPA has been pushing, like if they get, if they really get the extremes with, with no preseason games, they want to limit on 11-on-11 11 11 work during practice. 
Well, then, then, then what do you? Then how are you going to be ready for your opener? Like, like Joe mentioned, I, I mean, so the first month of the season is well, that really wasn't us. We're, we're going to, you know, get into shape, shape. Well, th- then 25% of your season is over. So it, it, it's this is going to be an abnormal season, but to, to not have two preseason games for a lot of reasons other than virus-related, I just think the league will stand firm on that. Outside of the NFL, a few different uh, sports leagues are – making changes due to the virus. The uh, Ivy League has decided to cancel its sports for the fall semester in college, so no Harvard-Yale football, unfortunately, for us. The um, ACC has delayed the start of its fall sports competition to September 1st, so you're still practicing in August, but uh, in the uh, few sports that were scheduled to begin before September 1st, uh, then all those games prior to then are, are going to be postponed, and it, it, it doesn't amount to too much. If you really want to reschedule those games, you might be able to. Um, but uh, football was supposed to begin on September 2nd, I believe, in the ACC. So it's not affecting football just yet, which, of course, is the big moneymaker. Um, and several college football programs have stopped their workouts after dozens of players have, have tested positive. I think Clemson was the first one to do so. I remember a couple weeks ago, there were like 35 players tested positive. And like 40 or 45 total in the athletic department down at Clemson, um, so um, that's that's happening. Uh, the Ravens, after the NFL, have announced that their season tickets will be deferred until 2021, and uh, if permitted under state and local government regulations to have fans attend games in 2020, there will be a reduced seating capacity there at Baltimore Stadium in fewer than 14,000 seats per game. And uh, Mike, the, uh, the Ravens, they, they, I think their stadium is slightly bigger than, than Lucas Oil. But uh, Luke, if Lucas Oil has like 66,000 or something like that uh, capacity, I think between 10 and 12,000, I think would be about the same ratio um, uh, of fans per, per seat. So like, I don't know, like one in six seats is something that the Ravens are, are proposing right here. And if, if that's the case, like I think you could spread people out at Lucas Oil Stadium pretty well in one in six seats if, of course, it comes to that, if local guidelines allow it. And if they'll stay away from each other. Right. And if they won't congregate at the concession stand or the restroom. I put out a poll on Twitter just for the heck of it about if, if the season goes off as planned and there's no restrictions on seating and there's 60,000 people at Lucas Oil, if they on game day – open the gates free of charge, free of charge, would you show up? And it was split. It was like 44% and 44%. Yeah, I wouldn't. And no, I wouldn't. And that probably goes along with, with where the, the, the overall public is on on this COVID situation. Hey, let's live our lives. And no, let's, let's kind of pull back. So I, I just, I have a hard time believing that 60,000 people on a Sunday would go downtown and fill that stadium in this environment. But maybe I'm naive or whatever. It's very different than all tied into another thing that's happening in Indy right now. At least the plan right now is on August 23rd to have 150,000 people at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway to watch the 104th running of the Indianapolis 500. So that, that is very different than Lucas Oil Stadium just because of the sheer size of IMS. And I think you can spread people out a lot easily there in the outdoor environment. But um, but, but yeah, it's, it's still to have 60,000 people crammed in Joe to one, uh, one large stadium 
be a little bit of a burst too far, it seems, right now with just how how local governments have been reacting to the virus. Yeah, and it, and it makes me start to wonder, too, because all the studies and research suggest that the virus spreads far more indoors than outdoors. So it kind of makes you wonder, are the Colts going to have the roof open for all their games now so that more of that UV light can come in and hopefully the virus, you know, won't spread as well? You get even 14,000 people in the stadium. There's probably a good chance at least one person might have the virus. Um, so it's just all these little variables and little things that the NFL has to has to come to agreement on, and, and it's a lot. It's a lot for any league of any size. Well, one thing about it, you know, I would think you'd really want to have the roof open for a game, but if it rains, you can't. Mm-hmm. The, the one the, of of all the amenities that that stadium has, the field itself is not like tilted. It's not there, there's not a drainage. So you can't have it open if it's going to rain because there's no drainage from from the field itself. So uh, we'll see. I, I, again, I, what, what I'm kind of glad of is we're finally getting down to where decisions will be made. Two games, no games, opt-outs, no opt-outs, fans, no fans, training camp, no training camp. Uh, and on top of that, if I'm not mistaken, rookies can come in a week early. So now whether the Colts are going to do that, I, I, we'd talked to Reich one time, and I thought rookies were, were going to come in like July 22nd. Whether that's changed or not, I don't know. We'll need to check on that. Well, that uh, is still a topic that will be, I'm sure, uh, nailed down over the coming weeks. Um, one more note about the, um, I guess, just uh, news throughout the last week, non-COVID-related across the NFL, is the uh, mega contract extension for Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, um, signed a record-breaking 10-year deal worth, at its best, more than half a billion dollars, $503 million, with about $140 million of that guaranteed. And just for a, for a comparison's sake, back in 2016, of course, Andrew Luck signed at the time the largest contract in the NFL for $140 million total back in 2016, all four years ago. Andrew Luck signed that contract with the Colts six-year deal, 140 million. I think about 47, or like it was less than 50 of it was guaranteed. So uh, four years and uh, four more years in this Patrick Mahomes deal, uh, and uh, all of uh, 360 million dollars more. Uh, Mike, these are staggering numbers, and he becomes the uh, the highest-paid professional athlete, uh, not without endorsements, uh, in the world with this contract. Whenever you can use the word half of a billion in a contract, it just takes it to another level. And a couple of questions that we can talk about. I put out a another poll. I love polls. They look kind of cool on Twitter. Is which Colt would you give a 10-year contract to? And I had trouble coming up with three. I really did. I mentioned Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, and DeForest Buckner, or no one. And Q was a runaway winner, 67%. And I, I, I wouldn't hesitate giving him 10 years. First of all, he's only played two years. And, I, and, and I'm not dissing guards, but he's a guard. And, and he's not going to get a 10-year contract. It's going to be, I think, I think the highest paid guard is like $16 million. So you give him 18 to $180 million, And then it's all about how much guaranteed. So I, I could stomach that. 
any other position, even Darius Leonard's probably going to be 21 or 22 million a year time, you know, times 10. And in Buckner's 26, he's got a four-year extension. So by the time you give him 10 years, he's going to be 38 or whatever. This roster is simply not built for, for right now for guys to get 10-year extensions, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. But league-wide, league who? People say, well, this, set, this, this totally blows the market. But who else in the league might, or might merit a 10-year contract like this? Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and we could argue that that may maybe not watch. But then you, Aaron Donald, one of the Boses. I mean, I I just don't know. This is such a game changer, but it's a game changer for so few people. How many Patrick Mahomes are out there? You know, again, you you would say Lamar Jackson for his first for what he's done the last couple of years. Beyond that, you could argue that no one else is really worth that level of commitment. Well, even Lamar, I mean, for a player who runs as much as he does, I'm not sure you would want to commit that to. And the crazy thing about the Mahomes deal is in another five years, it's probably going to be a bargain for the Chiefs based on where the market goes from here. Um, He doesn't make a lot of this money for another two years anyway, and he's, you know, playing the 20 20 and 21 season on still a pretty team-friendly contract. And then he's not going to get the half a million. A lot of the incentives were like 25 extra million for every year they win a Super Bowl. Well, they're not going to win a Super Bowl every every single year. So he's not going to get all that extension. So, you know, in another few years, this is probably going to look like a bargain for the Chiefs. I, I The only thing I'd say about that is that there aren't too many quarterbacks, again, like we talked about, that are going to push the – and again, not 10 years, but but the average per year. How many 40, 45 million dollar a year quarterbacks are there? That I don't think many, because every year, if you go back and look, quarterbacks have always pushed that bar up a little, you know, a little. Whether it's Stafford and Matt Ryan and Goff and all those guys, maybe Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson move it, but they're not. I, they're not going to go to 55 million. So I, I think this is almost an anomaly, but we'll see. I've been wrong before. Maybe there are teams that will pay their quarterbacks and a few other players crazy money. It's not like this is the first time we've seen a 10-year contract in the NFL either. And, um, and Mike, you'll know this just as well, but um, I, I'm going to run down the 10-year contracts that, uh, that have been signed before in the NFL or in professional football specifically that uh, – at least the ones that I found on this uh, CBSSports.com article here. So it might be a complete list. It might not be. But uh, Brett Favre signed a 10-year, $100 million extension in March 2001. And that was after Favre signed a couple. Uh, Favre had a couple of MVP seasons in the late 90s. So um, he got that. And that's, like I said, 2001. Uh, seven years later, they traded him to the Jets. So he got a good chunk of that 10 years in. Um, just a couple months after uh, Brett Favre signed that 10-year deal with the Packers, a young man by the name of Drew Bledsoe signed a 10-year deal with the Patriots. That was in March 2001. And we all know what happened in the 2001 season. Drew Bledsoe got hurt. And another young man by the name of Tom Brady took over. So Against, the, Col- against the Colts. Against the Colts. Yes, it was. 
So that 10-year contract worth $103 million did not go so well for the Patriots. They had to dump Bledsoe after uh, one season on his new deal, and he was traded to Buffalo. Um, Donovan F. McNabb, 12 years, $115 million from Syracuse University, signed in December of 2002. Uh, let's see. So that, that, that made me think that this is the second time Andy Reid has given a quarterback 10 years in a, uh, in a contract. Andy loves him, uh, loves his guys. He absolutely does. Um, so 12 years to Donovan McNabb. He uh, made it through eight of those years before he was traded to the Redskins in uh, 2010. Dante Culpepper with the Vikings in May 2003. Uh, the Vikings were coming off a disappointing 6-10 and 10 season, but they decided to give Culpepper a 10-year deal in 2003. Um, he got traded to the Dolphins after the 2005 season, so literally three years later, so after the 2003, 2004, 2005 seasons. And uh, Culpepper, of course, was Miami's backup option, Option, if you remember, after uh, the attempts to uh, land Drew Brees. Uh, they, they were a little concerned about Brees' shoulder, and uh, that, that didn't exactly uh, go too well for, for the Dolphins. Uh, Michael Vick signed a 10-year deal, $130 million in December 2004, and uh, then he was uh, convicted of uh, dogfighting after, shortly after that, and then united with Andy Reid and the Eagles. In 2009 later, well, not reunited, but uh, united, I guess. So Andy Reid loves him some uh, some long-tenured quarterbacks. but um, And the, the, those are the ones from the NFL. And then um, the uh, the infamous contract with Steve Young in the USFL. He signed a 43-year contract with the USFL <laughs> originally. That would have lasted him until he was uh, 65 years old. So from 28 until 65, uh, Steve Young was locked in there until the uh, USFL folded and uh, he uh, joined the NFL. So so those are your big contracts. You got a couple that worked. You got a couple that really didn't work. More so really that didn't work that did. I would say you, you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes and how he lines up there. He's different than some of those guys and the fact that he's a little bit younger than those guys who got those deals. Um, but like – like what happened with Drew Bledsoe, man, you, you never know when one injury will change the face of a franchise. So um, it, it's still at least $140 million guaranteed over the next 10 years, um, and uh, at, at possible could be $500 million. It, I, I don't know. If, I, like you were saying, Mike, I, I would hesitate to say this is a game-changing contract for the NFL because we have seen this in the past. But at the same time, it will certainly uh, increase what a, a guy like – What's his name? Um, Dak Prescott is asking oh, yeah. the Cowboys. Yeah, but but nevertheless, I, I don't think that we're going to see teams be being thrown out 10, uh, 10-year contracts willy-nilly right now. Well, again, it, it, it comes down to do, do you want the 10-year of security? Although I don't know what the guarantees are. When, when can the Chiefs realistically walk away without being in, in dead money hell? And how much is realistically Mahomes going to get? So again, the, the Chiefs might be getting long-term security, knowing that this is this is what we're paying this guy. And like Joe said, maybe in five years, I, I'm not going to say that Mahomes is going to be a you know a, a, a bargain at all. But but if the market does blow past him in, in year six of his deal, he's going to say, hey. 
I'm worth more than player X or player Y. Well, I'm sorry, you got to contact it. He's tied through at 2031 to the Chiefs. So it, it's it's whatever you want, what makes you happy. And I think I saw Mahomes there with this. He wanted his long-term deal, and it gave it still gave the team a chance to be competitive around him. And one thing that people need to realize, and we make so much out of cap space and how hard it is when you got so much. You know, the Colts have $58 million in quarterbacks this year, which is a ridiculous number. Yet you still, good teams still can make moves they want to make. You find ways to get it done. So obviously Mahomes was happy with what this deal offered both personally and as a team. And of course, it was the Colts defense that really held him uh, to uh, probably his worst performance of the year last year. Uh, Of course, he was hurt part of that game as well, well they but heard nevertheless, the, uh, yes, exactly. So, yeah. exactly. So, um, that, that's at least something that Colts fans can, can hang their hat on that defense. Uh, that one week, that one infamous week in Kansas city was able to showcase a little bit of its potential looking forward to, uh, the 2020 season, but, uh, we'll begin our positional breakdown. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. We'll get to that defense eventually over the coming weeks, but, uh, as I said, our Mike Chapel writing down online at fox59.com, cbs4indy.com, some positional breakdowns as July begins, and we anticipate camp beginning at the end of this month. So, of course, Mike, you started as any good NFL writer would with quarterback, and the Colts have three, four quarterbacks on their roster right now. You got Philip Rivers, the $25 million man. You got Jacoby Brissett, the $20 million man. And you also have the rookie, Jacob Eason, out of Washington, and the second year man, well, I guess second year with the Colts, man, Chad Kelly, uh, Joe's favorite, the preseason phenomenon. <laughs> swag. Chad Kelly as swag is, uh, is on roster. So uh, that, that's what you got right now. Like you said, Mike, $58 million tied in this group, which is by far and large the most in the NFL. Um, you, you have this cap space to do it, but nevertheless, that's a whole lot of money to be paying your quarterbacks. So you hope you get some kind of good results. Out of those quarterbacks, you get quality performances. You get good stats out of them if you're devoting that much of your resources to the quarterbacks. And, of course, is on Philip Rivers to do so. But we have some questions to ask about this group that uh, Joe has put together. So, Mike, I'll, I'll pose this to you first. Who has the most to prove out of this four-man group? Rivers. I mean, he's got to prove that he's, he's a 2018 version and not the 2019 version. He's 38, going on 39. And all the moves they made this year, none of them matter if he's not what they thought, what they think he, what they hope he is, what they believe he is. Joe, you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, Rivers is the man with something to prove. Um, I could envision a scenario where maybe something happens. Brissett comes in, he looks really good, and he's working for that next contract with another team next year. Um, but yeah, it's all on rivers. And if you're asking who has the pressure on them for the 2020 season, it's Philip rivers to prove he can still play and prove he can get it done with a new team. Undeniably. Next question. Who is most likely to be cut? I think we can agree that Chad Kelly out of this four man group is the most likely to be cut. We don't need to discuss that too much, but I'd say there's a very, very slim chance like that, that the Colts would cut Jacob Eason and just put him to the practice squad because, I mean, you got him as a fourth round pick. There's going to be interest in him around the NFL to carry him on somebody else's roster. So 
you, you can't really take the risk to cut him and put him on your practice squad. This, Mike, seems like a situation where the Colts are going into 2020, assuming the season happens and is normal, like whatever a sense of normal we experience in the past, that they want to carry three quarterbacks on this roster. Do you agree? Well, they have to carry. For everything you said, they have to carry three quarterbacks because you can't expose him to the practice squad. Unless, let's say with the, with this COVID season that practice squad positions are are protected because you're trying to keep players for possible injury or positive tests. And you, but no, they, they in a normal situation, you cannot expose who might be your future quarterback to the practice squad. And that kind of leads us into the next question that Joe put together, and that's, is the Colts starter three years from now on this roster right now? And uh, three years from now would be after, of course, three seasons of Phillip Rivers. So I, I don't think Phillip Rivers will still be playing uh, a fourth season with the Colts. You can nix him, say he's gone. The fact that the Colts brought in Philip Rivers tells me everything that I want to know about Jacoby Brissett and the fact that the Colts do not see him as your quarterback of the future as much as you keep saying, we like Jacoby, we like Jacoby, we like Jacoby. He's a great teammate. Yeah, he is a great teammate. He has a great personality. I bet you'd be, uh, a, great, actually, I bet you'd be a great teammate. Yeah, I would be a great teammate for everybody in there. I would be sure to stay six feet apart from everybody in locker rooms. And but not I, don't, but I, don't want you, I don't want you playing quarterback for me. You no, know, you don't want me lining up behind Ryan Kelly to take a single snap. And uh, the Colts do not want Billy Brissett lining up behind Ryan Kelly to take snaps three years from now. It's not him. This comes down to... Do you think that Jacob Eason is the Colts starter three years from now? And that that's a very difficult question for any of us to answer without seeing a second of him in, the, in training camp, without seeing him make a single throw in a preseason game. Like, it, 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 there, there's no reason for me right now. He's a fourth-round pick. You can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that a fourth-round pick is going to be your starter uh, three years from now. The Tom Brady's, who are sixth-round picks, are – are not common. The Russell Wilsons that are third round picks are not common to make a starting position. What was Dak Prescott? Was he a third or a fourth round pick? That That's not common for those guys to become your starting quarterback. So if, if I had to bet, if you put a gun to my head and say, is the starter on the roster three years from now? No, I would say no. As, as intriguing a prospect as Jacob Easton is, Mike, I can't say that the Colts starter three years from now is on their roster right now. Well, let me see. I got I got my coin here. It comes up heads, so I say no. Uh, because because you, you based on it, it would be based on what if you really believe that Eason is your quarterback of the future, you take him in the third round. You take him with one of your second round picks. So it's obvious they have as many questions about him. Maybe not as many as we have, but. I would think, again, I fully expect if, if Rivers is what he, they hope he is, he's here next year. So you're looking at 2022 for your new quarterback. Will you know by then if Easton's a guy? I mean, in all likelihood, he won't have played. He, he, he'll have sat on the bench, and you've seen him in preseason and practice. But also for like you, you know, the, the Colts hope they are. He is. But based on what we know, I would say no just because – you don't know. And Joe, he's a guy, Jacob Eason, that 
I'm sure would break from the NFL Players Association, like we talked about earlier, saying, hey, we don't want any preseason games. A guy like Jacob Eason is one of them that would want as many preseason games as possible to be able to get out there and A, learn and go through the offense and learn through reps, but B, be able to show what you're capable of. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a guy who's going to take every chance he can get. He didn't play a lot of football in college at Washington. He had some of the least games under his belt of the quarterback prospects this year. So, you know, in a year or two, when Phillip Rivers moves on and retires, you know, you're still not going to know what you have in Kelly, or I'm sorry, Jacob Eason, because he's going to be extremely inexperienced. I could see them maybe allowing him, if he's still on the roster, to compete for a job. Um, unless they, you know, use a first round pick on somebody, but both of you guys nailed it. There's no way to say comp with any sort of confidence that Jacob Eason is their long-term start. So that brings us to the last question we have here under quarterback. Would you swap this position group with any other in the AFC South? And, uh, Joe, I'll start with you. I've had one. Mike's had one. What, What do you think? I think it's pretty obvious that I would trade this in a heartbeat for uh, the Texans and Deshaun Watson. You put Deshaun Watson on this team and all of a sudden, you know, people are thinking about the Colts like they were with Andrew Luck a year ago, a young, talented star quarterback. So uh, give me Watson in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I don't care who his backup is because you're talking about the position. Right. Uh, Because we were just talking a minute ago. Uh, the next guy to get the big contracts, either Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, that's pretty easy. Tannehill, no. Uh, so, so I, I, Gardner Minshew, I don't think so. Yeah. So that's an easy question. I, I think it's kind of like, you know, Bill, Bill O'Brien getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins. Well, you've got a Deshaun Watson at a level player. Uh, he makes you so much better. And when you get that guy, you keep that guy. So we move on to running back, a uh, position where the Colts have your starter in Marlon Mack, who's a thousand yard back from last year. You have uh, arguably the back of the future, and certainly a uh, one-two punch of the future with Jonathan Taylor, the rookie you traded up to draft in the second round. At fullback, Roosevelt Nix, who uh, Lord knows I have no idea how the Colts are going to use him, but I anticipate he makes the final 53-man roster. Uh, at uh, uh, kind of a utility, pass-catching, uh, punt returner as well, Naheem Hines. Uh, so there's four running backs right there. If you go into the season with more than four running backs, that's a whole lot to, to really weigh down your roster, especially if you have three quarterbacks as well that you want to carry, like we were talking about earlier. But behind uh, Naheem Hines in the depth chart, you have Jordan Wilkins, Darius Jackson, Bruce Anderson III, a couple guys at the bottom there that you really have no idea what they do. Don, uh, Jordan Wilkins, we've seen be a relatively productive player over the past couple of years. But uh, from this group, uh, Mike, who do you think could be a breakout player for the Colts in 2020? I'm going to say Naheem Hines. It's hard for me to say Max going to be a breakout player because he's coming off a thousand yards. I, I can't really say a rookie, but even though he's been productive, if they can if they can find a way to get Hines his touches in the passing game, he has a chance. To me, the other ones, their stretch is to call breakout because they've done it or, you know, Taylor's done it at a high level at Wisconsin. I think Hines has a chance to have a pretty good season. Yeah, yeah. I think for Taylor to be, quote-unquote, a breakout player, he might need to get a little bit more. Like, you might see uh, – 
Joe's wish of Marlon Mack getting hurt have to come true uh, to have uh, to have that happen to him to re- really be a, a breakout player. So, Don't put that evil um, on me. <laughs> I believe you said that last week. Didn't you? I said I never wished it. I said if an MVP. I bet was there's audio. Jump, I bet there's audio unless you erased it. <laughs> I altered it. No, I don't hope any of them get hurt. Um, go ahead. Your breakout player, though, Dave? Yeah, I would say probably Naheem Hines from that because I really I really think specifically he can be a really good punt returner. And he could be a guy that is an uh, is incredibly dangerous punt returner. And that's what I think the Colts really wanted when they first drafted him a couple years ago. And then he dropped like two or three in the preseason. They're just like, uh-uh, forget that. Uh, they let him get a little bit of confidence under him over the last two years and then threw it threw him back in there at the end of last season and finally showed the, the potential he had. So uh, that that I think is really uh, along with Philip Rivers being a guy who likes to dump it off to running backs um, from if you just look at what he's done in his career. Hines is going to be that back. So he has the potential to really have a have a meaningful season on both offense and special teams. Joe, what do you think? I like Hines and I guess it would depend on how you you know, define breakout, but I would go with Jonathan Taylor. I, I certainly think a thousand yard season is in the cards for him. Um, you know, a, a little, little farther down in the questions there, I have how likely is a dual thousand yard season between him and Mac? I don't think it's impossible. Um, but I, I still think there's at very least a 50 50 chance that Taylor ends up with more rushing yards than Mac, even if both stay healthy. So uh, I think Jonathan Taylor could break out as a rookie and immediately establish himself as a star. I, since since this has just happened between two running backs gaining 1,000 yards five times in NFL history, I would, of course, bet uh, against the 1,000 <laughs> uh, uh, dual seasons for both uh, Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. Um, it's also happened twice with quarterbacks, and once was just last year with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. And uh, before that, Michael Vick and uh, Warwick Dunn in the uh, mid-2000s. But do you guys know who the uh, the first pair of running backs to gain 1,000 yards were? Mike Chappell's nodding his head. And, and there's an asterisk. Do you know what the asterisk is? It was it was uh, Zonka and, and Mercury Morris. Yes. And at the end of the season, Zonka had his and Mercury Morris had 991. And lo and behold, like five days later, they revised it and gave a they took away a minus nine yard run by him and gave it to Earl Morrill on, on a lateral. So they, they took it away and they, they added nine more yards on Merc- Mercury Morris's total. So that's a little bit of NFL history. Yeah, that's hmm. the, uh, the undefeated 72 Dolphins. And of course, right. our mention of uh, Larry Zonka once again gives me the chance to mention that he went to uh, the great Syracuse University. So that's why you brought that up. Once again, the orange men in the uh, in the NFL record books, as uh, as they are littered everywhere throughout. So, uh, just just throwing that out there. But um, who do you think has the most to prove among this group? I think Marlon Mack has a ton to prove. Um, you can, I think you can make a good case for Jonathan Taylor being a second round pick that Chris Ballard traded up for. Has a lot to prove too. But uh, Marlon Mack, he's a guy who's a thousand yard back who had a handful of touchdowns last. Um, but. At the same time, the Colts went out and drafted somebody else who, who could be a quote-unquote replacement for you down the line. So uh, you have something to prove to come out and, Joe, say that this is your spot and you want to keep your spot for as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, 
Marlon Mack is basically playing for his, his next job, his next contract at this point, unless he wants to take a bargain with the Colts. I could see the Colts offering him, you know, a team-friendly deal. But if he's going to want to make his money, he's going to want to try and ball out this season and show that he can be a, a feature back. And I think he's showed that for the most part in the past. But he's going to want to have a good season so that he can earn as much as he can on that next contract and get an opportunity to start and be the guy elsewhere. Yeah, his next contract is his big contract. As a running back, you want to get to that first free agent contract, and and the Colts did him no favors uh, in that regard by by getting thirty or forty percent of his touches to Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, I, I would say so too. And you know, he's one of the few guys—not few—he's one of the guys we did not talk to during the off season uh, as far as the players we got. There, there were a handful we wanted and didn't get because of time restraints. But we've not heard from Marlon Mack about it. He, his, he's going to give us the coach speak and the player speak. Well, you know, he's going to make me better and this, that, and the other. But trust me, anyone who thinks that he smiled and welcomed the pick of Jonathan Taylor are delusional. So, uh, yeah, he's got a lot to prove. I think he is a feature back in the NFL. But the Colts took Jonathan Taylor for a reason. And uh, we're going to find out what that reason was this year and at the end of next year. Any of you guys think that Jordan Wilkins will be kept on the roster and they, or Roosevelt Knicks and Jordan Wilkins to carry five running backs? I think that would be a really hard sell. I was looking at this list and getting down to who's going to be cut. You know, Rosie Knicks needs to be really, really good on special teams. And, and, and that's his resume. I mean, how many plays does a fullback play in a game? I don't know, five, six, on offense, I'm saying, on offense. Uh, it, it's going to help that the tight ends aren't as strong as in the past to have that H-back guy. But it's fairly easy to overlook and, and take Jordan Wilkins for granted. And, and when he's had to step in and play in spots, he's played pretty well. As we sit here today, I say Rosie Nix makes it. But I won't be surprised if Wilkins makes it. I don't see they both make it. You just you just can't. You can't have five running backs when you're probably going to carry six uh, six receivers. So I say Nick's makes it, but I'm not going to be shocked if it's Wilkins. Yeah, I mean they did bring in Nick's for a reason. They specifically went out and signed Nick's when they haven't had a fullback, a true fullback on the roster in a few years now. So I think Nick's has a better shot of making the roster right now than Wilkins, which is kind of disappointing to me because I really like Jordan Wilkins as a player. I mean, he I think he averages like five yards a pop per rush, which is really good. He's one of those players where I've kind of wondered why they haven't given him more play in the past, especially when Mac got hurt last year. Um, he plays special teams as well. Um, so that's another area of value that he provides to the team. And then looking forward, I mean, next year, let's just envision Marlon Mack moves on. Jordan Wil- Wilkins would kind of be your number two behind Taylor, even though you have Hines. But he's Hines isn't that true running back. So, you know, I think that would go into the decision-making process of, as well as next year, you know, Taylor – Wilkins Hines would be our trio. That'd be a pretty decent trio to have. So I think Nick's has the front running shot of making the roster, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Wilkins will be cut. 
Your, uh, your question, is the Colts starter three years from now on the roster? I don't think we have to discuss that too much. You don't have a 1,000-yard back who's in his early 20s and then draft another guy in the second round and not plan to have one of those guys be your starter three years down the road. So I think we can all agree that either Marlon Mack or Jonathan Taylor, more likely Jonathan Taylor, is starter three years from now uh, on your roster. But I think it's really intriguing uh, to um, – Let's see who, who if you want to swap this position group with any other in the AFC South, because from from my perspective, I think Derrick Henry is a beast, a beast, one of the best in the league. And you can give it to him 25 times a game. And he is fine. He's great with that. And I think Derrick Henry behind the Colts offensive line would be a terror. Personally, I'm curious, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, that, that's a it's a tough call. Do, do you want the collective Colts? Or do you want Derrick Henry? And, and I, I don't know. I, I I go back to my the 2000s, and Edron James was that. He was that one back. And they rode him, and they rode him, and it worked. And Derrick Henry was their guy last year. If you put a gun to my head, I might take Derrick Henry. But at the same time, you got to like what the Colts have as a collection of backs that Tennessee doesn't have. I guess it's just what your flavor of run, what you want in your running game. Yeah, this is a tough one. Does do do the contract situations play a role? Because if they do, I'll take Good the Colts too. in a heartbeat. Because Derrick Henry, he's on the franchise this year, and then after that, I mean, you could franchise him again, I suppose. But he, he's going to want big money soon. Yeah. He's in his mid twenties. He's taking a lot of pounding. So as far as from here forward, I think the Colts have a better running back situation. We'll move on to wide receiver now. Mike Chappell will have this story up online at Fox59.com or CBS4Indy.com on Friday. So if you're listening to this Thursday after the podcast drops, be patient. It'll be there eventually. But um, at wide receiver, you obviously had your starters in T.Y. Hilton, uh, Paris Campbell, and Michael Pittman Jr., the rookie. Those are probably your top three with Zach Pascal right in there in the mix. I'm sure he'll see plenty of time just because of the uh, the consistency and the um, the ability, to be frank, that he showed last year in um, in in a fill-in role. So you got four guys right there that are essentially locks for uh, for the final 53-man roster. And after that, with your depth, you have Marcus Johnson, who caught a touchdown or two last year. Um, you have Desmond Patman, the rookie you drafted in the sixth round. Jarese Fountain, the fifth-round pick from two years ago, that has had injury issues last year. Uh, you have Ashton Doolin, who was a special team standout last year, and then a couple more players after that. So um, af- of this group, Mike, uh, who do you have as a uh, breakout player or most to prove? We'll kind of combine these just to kind of move it quickly. You don't have to give away everything you want to say in your uh, in your online story, but w- what do you think about those questions? Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. I argued about against Jonathan Taylor about being a rookie, being a breakout player, but I would take Michael Pittman primarily because they need him to be a breakout player. They need him to have 800 yards and five, six touchdowns. I think he will, he will be given every opportunity to be that breakout player in this group. Joe. Yeah. I got to go with Pittman jr. As well. I'm kind of surprised he didn't go with Paris Campbell after he was one of your breakout players for the whole team last week. But, um, I love what Pittman Jr. brings to the team. I think he'll play the role as that big-bodied wide receiver in the offense, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Uh, it's going to be either Pittman or Paris, and if it's not, then you have a real, real problem. Correct. On, uh, on- 
right now. So um, who will be cut from this group? If you keep six wide receivers um, after Pascal, uh, I think it, it comes down to you want Doolin for his special teams, and then it really comes down to between Marcus Johnson and Darius Fountain, who it's going to be, who's going to make that last spot. That's really a true camp battle is the, the bottom of this wide receiver uh, chart, especially if you want to keep six wide receivers. Um, Desmond Patman, he would really – he'd be in there, but he'd really have to impress to make that sixth uh, wide receiver spot. He'd have to prove that he can do it on special teams, I think, as well. Um, but I think that I think that Marcus Johnson and uh, and Ashton Doolin probably have the inside track at that right now, with certainly Patman and Fountain very much in the mix for those spots. Yeah, I think Patman may be more of one of those practice squad players that you can put on there and not really fear losing him. Uh, but I do think they keep six receivers. They they did last year, and Marcus Johnson gives you he gives you that deep speed and, and the big playability that he flashes and. I think he's got a good chance of making it again. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you guys on that one. I, I think Marcus Johnson makes the team. It's going to be tough for Fountain, especially, you know, missing the whole season last year. That's, you know, it was a brutal injury. And then for his development to miss a whole year, that's difficult as well. Um, calling Coming from a smaller school out of college there. Um, and, and then I know we kind of skipped past it real quick for time reasons. But as far as who has the most to prove, I would say T.Y. Hilton has the most to prove in a contract year, reaching the age of 30, coming off of really the past year and a half of being, you know, riddled with injuries. I think T.Y. has a lot to prove this season. It's funny. Someone on Twitter, they put out a, uh, they did a survey of like 50 NFL GMs, coaches, and scouts and all that. And they listed the top 20 receivers in the league. T.Y.'s not on the list. And this is a guy that took exception a couple of years ago that he wasn't top 10. So he's 31. He's going to be motivated. He wants that one more two or three year contract. So I don't think there's any question. T.Y.'s got the most to prove. And, and that's taking nothing away from Pittman, who wants to prove he was worth being the first pick. And Campbell. Campbell's got a lot to prove as well, sure. trying to stay sure. healthy and show that he's got all that talent. So I think the whole wide receiver group's got a lot to prove, but especially T.Y. trying to get that extra contract before Correct. he rides off and right now it's quite possible that the cold starters three years from now are the exact same three starters really that we're talking about right now ty michael Pittman jr and paris campbell at least i think if you're the colts you certainly want that to that's be what you that's what they want correct exactly. and, and ty has said that he wants one more contract after this year so if you give him a, a three-year contract after this year then then he'll he'll be there and he'll have uh, one or two more years left uh, well and, and, if, and if and if he gets that extension he will have had that year that, that he wants and they need. They're not going to give him a, an extension if he has 50 catches for 700 yards. Right. He's going to need that 80 or 90 catch season, 1,200 yards to get that extension. Any other position group that you think you would swap this for, Joe, in the AFC South? It's really tough. Um, I, I, I guess I'll stick with the Colts just because I believe that Campbell and Pittman can turn into very productive wide receivers. Um, you know, last year it would obviously been the Texans, but with, you know, DeAndre Hopkins out of town, Brandon Cooks, Fuller, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb, that's not super exciting to me. Tennessee, you know, A.J. Brown looked great as a rookie, but they don't have a ton else there. Corey Davis has been pretty much a bust in the NFL. And then, you know, in Jacksonville, D.J. Chark broke out last year, but other than that, a lot of so-so wide receivers. So I guess I'll stick with the Colts out at default. 
Yeah, I like this group too. Yeah, I like them too. I think like if I had to pick one other, like don't don't just hang up on me. But maybe the Jaguars. If I if I uh, like if I I think I could make a case for them with Chark being a, a young guy who's on the up and up. Um, D. Westbrook, I think, still has some some potential that he, he has to scratch very much like Paris Campbell right now. Um, Chris Conley is a bit of a veteran, has shown that he can get the job done in Kansas City. And uh, they have a rookie in uh, LaVisca Chenault, who's who's very much, once again, kind of like a, like a Paris Campbell type player and is uh, a gadget type guy who um, who they, they have a lot of young guys with potential. And I didn't even mention Keelan Cole, who had a good year a couple of seasons ago. So as a slot receiver. So I think they have some pieces right there to, to be able to be a really good uh, wide receiver group. But um, if, if I had to make the case for one other group in, in this South with uh, with the departure, of course, of uh, DeAndre uh, Hopkins, it would probably be the Jaguars over the Colts. So it, let's give the Jaguars their due once it is deserved, because there are very few cases where it is. So. I want to want to give them a shout out there. How likely is it for the Colts to have two 1,000 yard receivers this season? Do you guys think? I, I'm going to say, I I I I don't think that it's going to happen. It would be really tough to, for me to say Paris Campbell or Pittman Jr. gets a thousand yards. Uh, maybe maybe a 20% chance, but I'm not going too much higher than that. Uh, and that that's not super low. I think it's possible, but I I I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't Mike. I wouldn't bet on it. What would you bet on? 2,000 yard receivers or 2,000 yard rushers? Uh, You're not going to get both. <laughs> yeah, exa- no, exactly. That's a good, good question. I would, I would, I would, I would take the rushers, as rare as that is, just because they're they're going to run the damn ball, as we always say. I'm surprised Joe didn't have his his hat on. <laughs> so the, the, I think there's going to be more opportunity for both guys. Again, a thousand yards gets only 62 yards a game. It's not like, you know, you got to really pile things up, although it's, it's, it holds true in the passing game as well. I just think the way this team is built to do the things they want to do, there's going to be more opportunity for the rushers than the receivers. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I, I would put it, you know, back to the wide receivers, maybe a 15% chance. And if it does happen, I think it's going to be Hilton and uh, Pittman. Um, right. Uh, you know, I just got goo-goo eyes for Pittman. I, I think he's going to be very good right away. Maybe maybe not a 1,000 yards right away, but if it did happen, I wouldn't be shocked. So those are three position groups, the uh, quarterbacks, the running backs, the wide receivers that uh, we have going up online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com this week. Mike, next week we'll tackle the tight ends, the offensive line, and the defensive line. So be sure to rejoin us next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast for that. You can follow us throughout the week on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Mike is at mchapel 51 And Joe is at Roto Street Joe. Help us out. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about us there. And if you have any Colts or NFL related questions you would like us to answer, you can submit those on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Just tag us and we'll be sure to get to your questions. So we thank you so much for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast this week, and we will see you next time.